Good evening, welcome to the CG Pro podcast. You can follow us at becomecgpro.com, find out more about the school that we run, and we also have a free Facebook group, Becoming a CG Pro. So feel free to like and subscribe if you want to hear more of what we do. We'll be on again in a couple of weeks. But today, it is my great pleasure to welcome Eric Weaver. Eric is a prolific um, technologist and uh, working in virtual production, specializing in virtual production. He, he is uh, at the ETC uh, at the University of Southern California, um, a, an executive producer on several projects, um, including the well-known Fathead project. And I, I will stop there and say, Eric, welcome. It's oh. great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Great to be here. Um, happy to chat along. Amazing. So yeah, just to kind of kick it off, I would love to ask you a little bit about the um, the your path to getting here and what were some kind of early moves and inspirations and things that, that uh, led you to do what you do today. So that's actually kind of an interesting path. Um, around 2001, I uh, helped build a company that did Beowulf-based supercomputing, which became grid or utility computing. Um, eventually, we decided to sell our data center sites um, because Amazon had come around around 2006. And uh, as we diversified, um, we got more or less into this new level of cloud where we were brokering supercomputing uh, time. And more and more, we had people come to us that were asking, can I get some rendering or visual effects done over maybe say two weeks on a $10 million computer that was private? So we started getting these requests and um, I was on search for a little bit more compute capacity and I started dealing or talking with some of the folks at uh, USC and they said, uh, you really need to go meet the ETC. And so I kind of came in and met Ken Williams who was running the group and still is today. And I got to step in there and it's kind of been history since then. Um, but it's been a fun journey. And I started out actually focusing on cloud. So basically, how do the to the um, basic studios um, use cloud at the ETC? Just to give make it clear, I don't actually teach for USC or anything. The ETC has been around about 30 years. The behest of George Lucas, it was founded. Um, I report directly to the CTO of Disney, Warner Brothers, Universal, Paramount. Bill at Sony just wrote me a few minutes ago. Epic Games is on there. Kim Library, um, Verizon, and Iron Mountain, a couple others. So we look at what's around the coming around the corner and how do we get ahead of it? How do we get uh, to either define what's coming up standard-wise or give knowledge of that, you know, upcoming around the corner view for some of these executives. Cause you don't want to just go run and put this tech um, on a hundred million dollar film because failure is not always rewarded in Hollywood, even if it's the fact that you learn some wonderful things. Uh, yeah, I definitely resonate with that <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, and what, how did, even before then, how did you kind of get in into the cloud stuff did you what did you study and how did you get to be able to do that so it tended to be a highly technical world i actually um got out of school with more of a business degree but my best friend and roommate at the time 
uh, graduated cum laude and went straight to SAIC. And at that point, he had helped build some of the internet infrastructure and was extremely technical. And so he pulled in a guy from NASA who was working there starting while he was still in high school. And so that's kind of the brain group. And you just have to constantly stay on the edge of learning. And that's what's really has served me well here. I'm in, in camera VFX or onset virtual production because that's always been my career path is I have to get down and learn what's going on, get in the weeds, uh, be able to interpret people who are spending, you know, 80% of their day doing this um, to people who are not doing this. So that's always been kind of my job. So although I, I, might be perceived sometimes as more or less an engineer, which is a lot of what I do. Uh, it's really more of an interpreter or someone who helps, you know, execute with the, the gear and the fun stuff. Right. Uh, did you did you always, um, so you said business was kind of your study. Um, did you always want to get into the film industry or have a kind of leaning towards entertainment? Uh, no, actually, no, I, I had no uh, particular leanings towards entertainment. I just kind of stumbled into it. Okay. Um, and how I got into production or becoming an executive producer is um, when we were originally doing a lot of our cloud work for the ETC, we had formed committees. We had come up with great ideas, how to address things across several different layers. And um, Universal originally stood up and said, okay, well, that's great. Well, let's try it out. Let's just do this proof of concept work or this first film. And um, so that was the idea. Let's just go end to end, document the process, show what's going on, figure out what works, what doesn't actually work in practice. You know, it's like kind of like a security standard at one point. Uh, it's no good if nobody adopts it, you know. <laughs> you can come up with the most perfect security standard of the world, but if you can't get your job done, and this is a get your job done world, uh, people just go around it, you know, so so that's kind of what we were really looking at um, along the line. And right now we're on our fifth film um, and that's Fathead. So the way this has kind of evolved is we give away an, about an annual grant to an individual of diversity who's graduated with a master's from USC. And we basically provide everything they need to make a film or a short film. And so um, Huge amount of donations. As a matter of fact, this year we got an Epic Mega Grant. Um, uh, primary funding comes from people like Universal, Warner Brothers, Amazon Studios, um, and other places. Right. Wow. Amazing. So it's a it's a student that's kind of behind the idea, and you guys got behind it and brought some other partners in. And how 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 much can you tell us about the the project? So actually this year, what we evolved to is an award committee. So there's actually a committee like Kim Liberi, the CTO of Epic, uh, the CTO of, of Warner Brothers at the time, um, Universal, um, and several other Intel and other groups that all got to see five different projects and they voted on who should win the award. Another really fun thing about it is that we insisted that they spend 15 minutes with the creative, um, without the pitch to understand who they were as a person. And mm. I thought that was very valuable. Um, and we, we have an absolutely wonderful um, writer director this year in Fathead. Fathead uh, 
is uh, C. Craig Patterson. Um, he's already in the DGA. This guy's going to do amazing things. He has just been an awesome worker and just um, fantastic to work with. Um, we've had some really wonderful people coming out of this, including Abby Corbin, whose um, short, uh, The Suitcase, uh, was shortlisted on BAFTA, um, premiered at Tribeca, and basically got her a full-fledged film um, that premiered this year at Sundance. So um, wow. we've seen wonderful people. Last time was Ripple Effect. I don't know if anybody knows who Catherine Brillhart is, but Catherine really shined in, in that one. Uh, is the VP soup. So she was amazing. She uh, um, really got an opportunity to shine. And that's that's another thing we just love about this is, you know, there's some really wonderful, brilliant people that just need a chance and these resources. And the resources uh, at times are not at all cheap. I, <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. even want to calculate what uh, the bag, borrow, steal number is on this current film because it's an excess of uh, two million dollars <laughs> wow yeah what an amazing opportunity to be able to jump straight into that straight from studying be able to get that kind of access yeah normally it would take a, a lot lot longer and i mean knowing the right people and that's that's really awesome yeah and i, I think if you historically look at it it's not necessarily the best way to make somebody crawl up the ladder 15 20 years i mean possibly but uh you look at some of these superstars in um like facebook or other places where they these young people created these products and they learned to be that leader um, and, and i think that there's a huge amount of talent out there that just needs to see themselves as a leader and step into that role and get an opportunity so that that's one of my personal passions yeah that's amazing yeah likewise <laughs> running a school as well I, my favorite thing is to be able to see people go on and have successes and you know, to achieve their dreams absolutely um do you, so what what advice would you give to somebody that's kind of starting out in this field being i guess filmmaking of various different flavors that we're in, but So yeah. within in-camera visual effects knowledge, um, you said you're at a school and you're educating, you gotta get the knowledge. And this is a really tricky aspect of knowledge. <laughs> um, I think that one of the things that we're gonna be facing over the next, next 18 months is that, that curve of understanding and what you're doing. And how this industry evolves will change. Um, depending on how it rolls out and how we build this path to education to a broader community. Some of the major investments have already been made into LED volumes. Um, I think it's gone, Epic has said, somewhere from 10 stages to over 250. I'm now seeing like I was at, at NAB, I literally had at least a dozen people say they were building stages just walking up to me talking about it. Um, but it's not just about building the stage. It's, it's about having um, a couple things, properly built stage, which is a lot more tricky than people understand, and the people who can run the stage properly. Um, and I know this isn't the popular word, but brain bar or that, for the, the set of people who are running playback, the volume, lighting control, all those pieces is, is so critical. Um, what you're having right now is some of these people who think they're 
ready, jumping into some of these environments, and they're not the either the volume itself isn't quite solid enough, or their prep wasn't done enough, and they're getting burned on some of this stuff, and then they're going, ugh, no, I'm not, I'm not doing this game. Or it comes out looking cartoonish or crappy, and this is like the return to film. This is a very sophisticated um, art form. Um, and one thing I actually like to compare it to is it's like fresh out of a fraternity, I can make a wonderful spaghetti dinner from stuff at the local supermarket. This is a little bit more like evolved French cooking with locally sourced ingredients. <laughs> <laughs> it's complicated. You, you've got to make sure you're doing things right or, or there's going to be a problem. There's going to be challenges, problems. It's not going to look good. Right. So, if, so if you were starting out today as a as a young person interested in uh, virtual production or in camera VFX or being in the brain bar, which yeah is a, is a popular word, but maybe you know people don't like it, but it gets used a lot for sure. If you wanted to, um, and there's there's several different areas, I guess the one would be on the kind of technical end, helping operate the volume. Um, there's also roles within. The more creative side and feeding the volume with material being able to create the things that they're displayed on the screens um, and then there's being in the production side where you're actually doing some somewhat um, what people have always done shooting using cameras and lights um, but particularly i guess within the the vp um, tech side or the virtual visual effects side um, what 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 would you recommend to people as to where where to look and how to start getting involved in it if they're interested? So first of all, I'd say there's really kind of three key areas. Um, the first, so it would be your VAD or your design, which is going to be primarily studying Epic and understanding tools within Epic. That stuff is, I think, your ABCs. I think that anybody who's going to get into this field really needs to go and start playing with Epic. Uh, in Unreal Engine and understand how all of that stuff works to start. That's your, your first one. The second is going to be your in camera or your really, uh, let's just say your brain bar aspect, your uh, playback operator, your technician there, your LED technician, um, and a couple other roles, depending on how elaborate your setup is. Um, that you're going to, after I, I would at least fundamentally understand Unreal. I would then start going after um, internships or mentorships or any kind of education. So education is tricky right now. There's not very many people who are consistently teaching a curriculum that can be counted on. So there's just kind of random things here and there just beginning to kind of sprout out. I haven't seen your program yet. Um, but we're a big believer in education. And so I'm working with people like um, uh, the local unions, Epic, um, SIMPTI, and other organizations to create uh, curriculums around this stuff. You know, what is it to be an LED tech one? Uh, what is it to be an operator? You know, how do we create these consistent, here's a syllabus, here's what needs to be taught. So we're going to be rolling out some of this stuff in my working group over at the ETC um, and trying to keep consistent between all these different groups. Uh, the next stage or evolution that we're going to will be um, around uh, micro certifications 
certifications that in California at least can be backed by the state and potentially even give you upskill uh, labor reimbursements for those educational pieces. Um, so that say your first class might be $3,000 and it's over three or four weekends at four hours for two days. Now all of a sudden the state might pay that money back. And so you could get into that. So that's where we're going in that direction because we think that it's important for consistency. Um, and then the last one would be on the creative side. The third pillar would be um, understanding things like the DP's position, um, setting up shots, planning things from a, uh, a director and producer standpoint. So there's kind of three primary pillars of learning. And uh, I think that they all start with Unreal, which you can find readily available. But people like the Simpy RIS, or Rapid Industry Solutions Group, which Carrie Grubin runs, um, are beginning to also prep up materials and uh, information and where to study these things uh, or point people. Um, and folks like us will start, uh, we'll be kicking off a website here pretty soon um, icvfx.org and um, inc and um, osvp.org as well. That will point people also to kind of your 101s and then your paid classes as well. So we'll be producing information on that soon. Excellent. That's great. Yeah, it's really important having standards and availability to to the information i think it's been something coming through some of the formative movies that were i mean they're saying they invented virtual production it's been around for you know arguably sit back to the 30s some of these techniques we've just upgraded their capabilities and um it's something that's continuing to be figured out and worked on but no it was pretty clear going through those that not many people had that knowledge and some people um have done it but not many people yet so i think it's really the other problem great. is really hard is that it's mired with when you go to research or find information or videos a lot of that's mired with people who have an agenda um that's selling a product or a specific thing and that's really difficult i mean because obviously they have their own job to do but finding uh kind of neutral information um i see in the chat that someone's pointed out the white paper we did on ripple effect and that it's 147 pages uh, yes, so we did a massive paper. We are working on a monstrous paper right now. Uh, my dear friend uh, Tom is knee deep in uh, well over a hundred interviews <laughs> um, of different industry experts for this paper, along with uh, the work we did on Fathead. Uh, we'll be breaking down several major groups in this uh, in this particular production. Uh, we'll be de dealing with sound design with Eric Rigney and, and Brandon um, about how to mitigate sound because uh, you get an echo chamber. We'll mm. be looking with Tracy Rudowski at uh, metadata and how or what you're following end to end um, for capturing some of that. Uh, we'll be looking at virtual beings, which Tom kind of led with uh, Pavan out of Europe, about uh, out of London about what are the different aspects of metahumans and virtual beings. Uh, like we did all kinds of different techniques um, on this particular last project. And then just overall pushing the boundaries of virtual production and what's possible. Fantastic. Um, so yeah, going back to um, one or two points there, um, 
I'm really interested to hear about some of the work that you guys are doing, in, uh, particularly in, in color, color science. And um, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what you've done in that area. So um, we have a, a working group, and I, I had retired it at while I was focused on Fathead, and we've respun it up. It's about 80 plus of the top folks, um, pretty much all the heads from every major studio in virtual production. Um, People like Rod Bogart over at Epic and other amazing people, Paul Devevic. So we focus on a couple different things in this working group. Uh, uh, we're looking at the LEDs, um, the panels themselves. We're looking at lighting. We're looking at color science itself. And we're looking at education. So a few things that came out of the last group. Um, there's a wonderful talk that was at HPA uh, with Paul Devevic and uh, Kim, Tim Kang, where we juxtaposed um, two individuals in an outdoor exterior area and an indoor area and then reproduce them inside of a volume to see you know, what's working, what isn't working. Um, so that, and part of the talk they gave also talked about you know, some of the lighting aspects when it comes to pixel mapping and making sure that the whole lighting science is, is set up and set up right. It's, it's so valuable. Um, other things, we did some wonderful work with Pete Leday and Michael Smith and some of the other teams there in which we took all the major manu camera manufacturers, put them against multiple different walls from a BP2 to some of the new Samsung stuff to a couple other walls. And what you find is that what your eye sees on a wall, um, what a camera sees, what a scope sees, and what the final monitor sees are all different things. Um, and what you really care about is what uh, is uh, on the final monitor, you know. Um, in this situation, what you'll find is there's really odd knee-jerk reactions from people who haven't been on these walls or shot on these walls. I even had this recently, uh, this challenge, is that uh, a wonderful individual came in to a shoot and pretty much the first week, they the DPP attempted to mitigate against the walls. <laughs> Right? And you're like, no, no. And then then they got it and it started working. And we've seen this over and over. If you get your hands on things, you get a little more um, experience with it. It's this weird kind of, ah, okay, I get now. Uh, it, once they've kind of gone through a major shoot. Another great example of this would be moving from Ripple Effect to we did a short film called Away with um, ICVR. And it took us one day. We shot all of the way in one day right. <laughs> from the lessons we learned from the last shoot. Right. So. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it's incredible how much you can get through now using some of these techniques. It would have taken a very long time before. So Rob Bedro of ILM basically said that they're saving 30 to 50% per day on their shots versus a traditional stage. So right. he's the head of creative and used to be the CTO over there, but he's driving a lot of uh, work around there. But he's actually documented it. The difference between being able to adjust uh, a dial on, on the settings of a computer versus having a grip where a lighting person come up and, and an electrician fix something or change something uh, is pretty radical. So if you, if you had to advise somebody who's out there shooting on a wall, a production company, or in probably a production company, because in individuals, it's pretty difficult to afford to be on a wall in the first place. But to anyone who's shooting on a wall, um, what to do today? Because I know it's a it's a, an evolving 
process the quality of the panels the the understanding quality of the cameras um what what would you advise people to get the best look with the current um kind of best technology that exists today so i think there's a couple things you really got to find an experienced dp um i currently have a wonderful guy named wolfie that i'm doing my um second unit shoots or really just our pickup shots i know finding him well <laughs> is that he actually yeah. instructs at our school too <laughs> oh <laughs> i didn't know that. finding yeah. these wonderful people is, is really helpful you, you got to get to someone that's been there and it's doing it um another wonderful program that was mentioned just kind of in the chat there is uh the writing in unreal project that tribeca um, put on. Um, so I, there's a couple different pieces of knowledge here. You need to understand how to set up shots, what works there, um, and how to like them. But you also need to understand, you know, how to design them, how to like them, how to do all these things. And so the writing in Unreal program was really great because it basically um, pulled people who were excited about a particular script and then sat them down with a bunch of uh, Unreal experts, and they just ground out kind of that previs aspect to prep them up. Um, when you want to go to a wall, it, I know that it sounds like it's very expensive, but walls are a little bit like hotel rooms. Um, if you don't use it, you have no income, right? Um, yep. It is something that turns into vapor. <laughs> So there are big opens patches where it is potentially beneficial for that team to either experiment, play with something, you know, get a little bit of press, get a little more experience, something like that. But it's not impossible to find places and potentially uh, do things. But there's also a series now of networks of smaller roles now that are arising that you can go in and test content on. You could look at it, you could play with it. Uh, there's at least, six or seven walls I know of in LA that are smaller that, that they just love people to come in and learn and be educated on or just play with content. So um, I, I gotta give a shout out to that because they're, they're wonderful folks out there. Amazing, yeah, good good way to get in and have a play and start to understand what the kinds of questions are. And as you said, um, definitely you know, take people on with experience, which I know is tough. Um, because there aren't all that many of them at the moment, but Wolfie is an amazing, amazing DP, and he's um, really taking this on. He went through the fellowship, and he's yep, got. I've been to the fellowship too. I, I went in class yeah. um, uh, three for myself. I went through the fellowship. They actually have kicked off a new fellowship for in-camera VFX. So that class yep. is going right now. Um, and originally, they're like, "Well, oh, Eric, are you asking to be in the class, or do you want to be in the class?" And I'm kind of like thought to myself, "That's nah, all right. This is all I'm doing," you know. But there's some really amazing people in that class this time. Jim Jovaldik is in there. The SVP, uh, Mariana Anacosta is in there from Technicolor. He's running all virtual production. Um, uh, the guy who's running Pixamundo systems in there. There's at least five guys from Amazon Studios in there. I mean, it's quite a who's who class of, of real pioneers. Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, uh, so some of the, uh, the education's coming straight from Epic and they're, they're helping to evangelize it. Some finding the right people, as you said, who have the experience in it so you can work with them and benefit from some of their experience. Um, yeah, it's good, good advice to people. I know that we, we get asked this question a lot uh, about how, how do you find out about this stuff? How do you get experience in it? So it's really, really good to hear your perspective on that. 
Um, so I, I think there's going to be a lot more trustable or reliable sources on how to get those experience, what to study, what to watch, evolving right now. But yeah, expect yeah. those in the next four to six months to really kind of pop up. Um, we've got one or two questions coming in from the viewers out there. So um, someone's saying I've started using Unreal Engine for a, uh, a year with a focus in ArchViz. Is it a good start before I dive more into virtual production and games, which is capital intensive? Um, so yeah, I'm not 100% sure what that question means, but... So um, um, I would absolutely say yes, yeah, spend as much time yeah. as you can. What's really cool is we're seeing something new called PitchViz. Um, so PitchViz means that you could go in to pitch your story with um, a fairly polished version of, uh, you know, just an idea of what the film is going to be like. You know, I mean, if you go on the Quixel and Megascans, you can buy most of your environments for fairly affordable. You're not going to have to do any kind of custom photogrammetry or anything like that. Um, you know, and you can put kind of these CG characters or these characters that are coming off the, you know, metahuman library in. Um, and it gives people a genuine idea of what to expect. And all you're going to have to spend is your time learning Unreal and a decent computer to get that done. And you're going to have a way leg up over somebody who's just coming in with a couple of photographs and it's going to look like this or this is going to be the deal. Um, we think we, we're seeing pitch biz really be helpful in selling projects. Amazing. Um, another question here. So um, someone's saying, there's some debate about whether metahumans will work on the wall due to performance concerns. Has oh. it been proven that metahumans work? Perhaps yes. there's some limitations. I, I will just I will answer that right now. We had the same concern. We put 60 metahumans on the wall in varying LODs. Um, so we did not put them right in the front of the wall for intentional purposes. But it was really kind of an amazing event because the whole stage came out and looked at they didn't know that this is possible you absolutely can pull this off if you have the right infrastructure um one of my favorite partners is silver draft out there they're kind of mm. premium systems they're amazing um but but yeah you're gonna have to be um so we have originally uh demoed this using um arch platforms and uh a simulated dual a6000 rig um with Pavon in London. But again, we didn't know that it would work either. And we got upwards of 60 people on the wall. Yeah, great. Well, you, there you have it. Good answer to that question. It works. So go go find some metahumans in a wall and make it happen. Um, somebody else is asking, uh, can you talk a bit about your work with the writing in Unreal Project? And if you're going to do another series of those projects? So um, I went and I spoke at the Writing in Unreal uh, project um, that was based on an Epic Mega Grant. I believe it was early November-ish timeframe. Um, I, I, I've already talked to the committee. I believe they're going to be doing this again. Um, it's a wonderful program. Um, so again, the way it worked was they had uh, two kind of tracks. They had a boot camp for, I think, three or four days where a series of writers each got accepted into this, broke their script down worked on a basic combination of gray boxing slash um, previs for their shorts. 
And at the same time, they ran a series of lectures um, on the main stage. Um, and it, it was a really wonderful event. It went really well. Um, one of the things that I'm going to be pushing or promoting here, I just got uh, on the executive board or, or on the keyboard of the Infinity Film Festival, is that I'm going to be pushing several of these festivals to having um, a short form um, ICVFX award. Something that says, okay, I need to do so many things. Like picture like the Olympics where they're doing ice skating and they got to do a triple twist and a backflip and whatever they do, you know. Um, you know, you're going to have to have, you know, a pan until you're going to have to do a couple major activities. So I'm going to be pushing for some kind of award for people uh, showing skills off in this field. That sounds great. So, um, we have another one. Um, somebody's asking you to uh, mention some of the smaller stages that you were talking about. Um, if they, any um, any so names of places they can go and. Everything from the smaller ones like Secret Hideaway, my buddies over there, to Rowie, to Ari, to Sony. We're shooting over a small facility Sony has in two weeks uh, on the new C LED B series. Um, some of the some of the small schools have walls up. They're, they're popping up kind of all over the place. Um, so there's a there's at least a dozen right now in LA. Amazing, thank you. Yeah, it's just I think useful for people to know where they can, who they can ask uh, to be able to experience and and go and check some of these things out. Um, cool. So, um, yeah, just. Moving on from that, I guess, what uh, what are some of the new tech that you see coming out that's really helping to improve the quality in, in the space in virtual production? Hmm. You went to NAB, so I know you've seen some of it. So the challenge with NAB is that um, I'm already doing constant meetings with all these people. <laughs> right, okay. Yep. So I, I'm pretty aware of what's going on. Um, I, I love some of the uh, ghost frame or... Uh, um, other things like that, where you're getting uh, dual thrust drums in. So I was just over at Brompton um, looking at some of their yeah. work. And when you get to 144 megahertz, or you, you get up that, to those levels, you can't see it at all. Otherwise, it's um, kind of Wang Chung video, give you seizures a little. Um, yeah. Megapixels also got a wonderful um, product around that line that we were hoping to play with here soon. I haven't got to it yet. Um, two other things I, I, I love to point out is I love some of the things coming out of Moses for mm -hmm. set extension and for, uh, the Preston pulling focus. I think that stuff is really brilliant. I'm excited to play with it here in the next couple of weeks. Um, I don't know if anybody saw, um, the work recently by Orbital in which they take a Trinity rig um i don't know what the camera is and they run around with it it is and there's absolutely no set design it's against the 1.5 uh millimeter pixel pitch planar and it's absolutely brilliant you're like you're like you 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 it's it's amazing you you i mean you, you're just like wow um it's the next generation of what's possible um there's absolutely no set design and it looks completely real because they can get so, so when you're dealing with something like these traditional large stages, the standard um, 
LED panels are uh, BP2s or Brompton Row 2s, um, which are uh, 2.84 in the pixel pitch. As you bring that back down, um, you can get much closer. So the reason some of those stages are so big is you need to stay roughly 12 to 15 feet off that wall. You don't want to get any closer than that. Um, when you're at a 1.5 pixel pitch, we've seen um, you get as close as three feet to that wall, and it makes right. it so. And the stages don't need to be as big in that case, so you can get away with the smaller stage if you have high resolution. Yeah. Yep. So. Great. Yeah. Um, and the, the other big debates there then would be the lighting and the ceiling, whether you put uh, yeah. panels up or you put advanced lighting. Um, I love some of the work you'll see from um, Ari's. You put sky panels up there. Otherwise, Quasar and Tim Kang's done some wonderful work doing pixel mapping of the lighting, which you don't have as the full spectrum um, from the LED panels because it's just RGB uh, and in that kind of area, it's not the full uh, spectrum. And so now being able to pull these more advanced lighting uh, is really helps with it. And it all will map uh, DMX and otherwise to the um, Unreal Engine, so. So in your opinion, from what you've seen anyway, um, do you feel like it's better to have lights up there or, or a ceiling? Well, that, that's a big debate. Um, as a matter of fact, I helped set up a shoot for the ASC and Baz, uh, I don't want over there. And, and he's like, I have to have a ceiling. It's not a volume otherwise. <laughs> right. Um, I, I think that it depends on what you're attempting to do. Um, if you're in a highly reflective environment like armor or other things like that, you're probably going to want a ceiling. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But in general, um, I think that some of the new, um, you know, taking, you know, something like Quasar and pixel mapping is, is a better approach. Uh, and I mean, I'm going to stay marginally that at this point before I get anybody mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing like, like good old lights. Although the, the lights themselves are becoming like little LED panels anyway. So it's kind of interesting. Well, does it say someone's got a thing on Cineo lighting? Because I love the Cineo guys too. Um, I deal with the, the guys over there a lot over at Universal is, a, is another uh, wonderful group. Right. Um, yeah, I'm curious also because we've talked a lot about LED walls, which is obviously the cool, sexy version of virtual production, the one that everyone thinks about. Um, but uh, what are your thoughts on now, there's been a lot of opinions about the LED walls are going to kill the green screen and that kind of thing. T tell me your thoughts on, on that conversation. Well, first of all, I think that um, the idea that everything's in the Mandalorian stage is completely wrong. Um, <laughs> there's a whole grayscale here. And if you kind of look at the history of the business, there was really two key pioneers. There's Lex Machina, who did the large screen, helped build the first Mandalorian stage. Did a lot of other great work and is amazing right now. It's part of the NEP group. And then you have someone like Stargate and Sam Nicholson, who I think quite literally went to Costco and bought panels, mapped their distance, and put them behind walls and other places. And he did a brilliant job with it. If you look at he's got some wonderful work where he's all, especially when he's doing plates work, uh, it's absolutely amazing. And so there's a whole grayscale in between. Right now you'll see, if you look at what some of the work that Orbital Studios is doing in the Arts District, they're doing a lot of, um, TV shows where it's 
um, like say for example on Snowfall, it's a penthouse, right? The guy's living in a penthouse. Instead of shoot going up to that penthouse every time, they put an LED wall behind the big, the, these big windows, and it looks amazing. It looks really good if you take check it out. So um, I think that there's a whole bunch of variations here. You're going to see a lot more stuff in the middle, um, and not just these big setups. Um, and uh, killing green screen. Um, I think overall, again, this is like moving up an evolutionary curve. We've absolutely opened Pandora's box. We're not going back from any of this. Um, this isn't a fad. We're, we're absolutely marching forward. Um, this will be how things are done. Uh, I still think some things might be better on green screen, but we're in the early ages. So think about it. this as a little bit like a pitfall in the Atari 2600. You know, we've just started playing this game. Um, my organization helped, the ETC helped create DCI or digital cinema. And when you look at that, I think it's roughly about 14, I'm aging myself, about 14 years old. When it first came out, the first specs um, weren't perfect. You know, it didn't look completely amazing all the time. Um, and I think it had to do with a lot of different things, including the sensor size of the original digital cameras, which I believe is around 1.2 or so. Okay, um, but there's a bunch of other issues there. And I think we have the same thing now. We're at the very beginning of this burgeoning change or shift, and it's going to get much better and much more amazing. And I think that, again, that orbital shoot would probably be a very good example of, wow, I can't believe that's possible. Right. Yeah, it's an, it's an exciting time you know, for me, um, having been in visual effects for a long time, um, and the kind of innovation curve leveling off to some extent, a lot of that stuff had got figured out already. And coming into this, at least the last number of years, anyway, at least since kind of Avatar going into Jungle Book, that, that phase where this stuff started being used a bit more, didn't really get public facing until The Mandalorian particularly. But it's been really exciting for me to, to, to see how much innovation there is back in the space again um, and how much it's bringing together the communities that really were quite separate before and having post-production and production and maybe a few of those people are meeting but not really that much now there's a lot more opportunity to mix in fact there's actually a question that's come in around that somebody wanting to hear a little bit um, from your perspective about uh, the role of post-production in this new world of virtual production um, particularly things like the new nuke integration with unreal or you know just in general how uh, how you see post now with this new stuff so it's definitely changed the world of post um i've been kind of blessed on this uh this particular show is the same guy who did a couple seasons of mandalorian is doing my post on this um and we're doing everything in the cloud uh including color um so we're doing 444 10 bit uh black magic uh you know davinci resolve and so there are just so many options right now. Um, has, it's absolutely shrunk my VFX. So I think if you saw some of the shots that we pull off, you'd be like, wow, there's no VFX in that whatsoever. <laughs> um, there is certainly some some cleanup. You know, you got every show is nowadays you've got some cleanup. But um, it's definitely changed the whole role of post. But uh, there's a lot of other unique things in post, like sound. How do you get rid of the reverberation? 
how do you do some of these other things, you know? So, they, I mean, post is still post. We're still going to go through it. But uh, I, I think that there's certainly a lot of wonderful opportunities coming forward. And that's another reason why we're doing some of the metadata work. Uh, if you look at the RIS committee, um, there's a wonderful lens metadata group uh, so that you can get all that lens metadata for later aspects, you know, in post to change your cleanup and whatnot. Tell me about the cloud. Tell me about how uh, how that workflow works for you and what, what so, you use in the cloud. So we're using almost everything <laughs> besides the day of shoot in the cloud. So when you start, we started with um, a combination of tools that were all back-ended by AWS. So uh, Bluescape, which is kind of a board where we can lay out designs, storyboards, other things. Um, then we used fifth kind for our mam dam in this particular situation uh, we were using rc for photogrammetry um, and in that situation uh, we were uploading as many as thirty-nine thousand photographs to create custom pieces of photogrammetry uh, that represents roughly 70 items um, that are custom in the scenes that you'll see or once it comes out you'll be able to see um, so in the front half uh, then we also spun up um, VMs and virtual machines to do all kinds of different things um, from running Unreal to doing advanced work in MetaHumans. Um, uh, so we did Arch platforms in that particular situation. Um, I believe that we had roughly 20 full terabytes and 16 million objects in Amazon over the course of On this. AWS? Yeah, in this particular project, I'd have to look at exactly the number, but it's something around that. Um, once we sh so we also running Perforce. If you're not familiar, Perforce is a critical component. The way we structured things is we handed out three key elements or scenes with the different shots to different groups, uh, which was um, which was UME, which was Victoria's group out of Greece. She worked on one set of scenes, I believe, the Glasslands. Um, RIT, which is Rochester Institute of Technology, Mark Reich over there, they took one. And then Scott Spector, who you've had on this group, uh, took the cave scene. And so each of them worked on their environments, but now all of a sudden you've got to coordinate um, this environment via Perforce. And that's a very complex tool to be using, um, especially when you're dealing with this many environments and in this many updates, I have literally been on two phone calls in which different people started crying, thinking they erased the repository altogether. <laughs> um, that doesn't actually happen. It's a GitHub. You can back that up and go back to things. But still, I've, I've had some really worried people. Um, so all of the front end is pretty much all uh, collaboration around the globe with different groups, uh, all via Amazon and the cloud in general. Um, I know that there's going to be some wonderful deployments of how you set these things up coming out from Amazon eventually. I don't know what the formal announcements are on that yet. When we got to set, um, we did have copies of Perforce both in the cloud and on set. Um, in prior work on Ripple Effect, when we were at Lux Machina and Halon was there, we had basically um, a, a Soho Clearview Flex instance up. And what you have is we have a challenge with matching your practical environments to your your background or your or your shots on the on the camera. And as much as you want to 
think that you have your color science down, there's always adjustments that need to be made. This does require several days of tech prep <laughs> um, before you do a shoot. So <clears throat> he was doing real-time changes, or they were, and so they would just, they were on that Clearview FX instance, and they'd say, okay, this color's not matching here, look at this, do that. So that would all change. When we were shooting, um, Dane Bren, uh, the head of the DIP community, uh, was helping run our DIP um, station. And we were doing basically 800 mega uh, gigabytes a second to the cloud or 6.4 gigs. I don't know. We were moving Airy Rod into AWS. So we had written some custom scripts. And I think it was around 600, 650 that it was uh, recording at, and we were moving at 800. Wow. Well, having worked in AWS a bunch, I'm, my brain's just thinking of the bill. <laughs> I'm sure that someone was um, taking I, care of it. It, it wasn't unreasonable. Um, yeah. Yeah, there, there is some things that can cost you money there. Yeah, but you've got to be smart about what you're doing. Um, yeah. What do you need now? You know, I don't think a lot of people are going to put, you know, 16 terabytes of raw on S3. <laughs> no. <laughs> or, or <more>. Hopefully not. <laughs> Hopefully not. So, so, yeah. But it's possible, and certainly for bigger budget things, it's less of an issue. And I know I've definitely worked on uh, a bunch of things and setting up Perforce in, in AWS, and it's, it's a bit of a pain, so I'm looking forward to some of that help showing up for some of uh, the people I work with. Yeah, We're really the hoping to roll moment. out a tutorial video on uh, Trap Zaps and Gotchas uh, with uh, Perforce. I've been working with them for a while now. They're great. So on the back end, again, we did you know everything. Uh, we're doing everything in the cloud right now. You know great so amazing so uh a few more questions coming in um uh okay this one is who should we be watching in the wearable ar r d scene that's an interesting question wearables um, you know i i really don't wearables. have a strong opinion on that at this particular point uh because i'm just not playing with it enough but yeah. i do absolutely believe that this is the forefront of any kind of metaverse or any kind of environment where you're going to be wandering around um, and exploring things. Because and the, the way I really see it is eventually these assets will be pre-sold to some kind of game or something else because uh, rights to those things. So now if you want to, after you watch a James Bond film, if you want to go into that place or location, you could go instantly there or other things like that uh, and go shoot people in your Fortnite game. You know, uh, definitely feel like there is an absolute connection between uh, some of this custom work in the world you're building in three dimensions and where people want to visit eventually. Right. Um, another one, somebody saying, are you using DaVinci Resolve in the cloud? Sounds like you already yes. answered that one. Yes, you are. Yes, we are yeah. using it. And, and just, it took us a little bit to, to set the first instance up, but um, after that, we were all good. I mean, it'd probably take us about 15 minutes. Great, yeah, that's really good. Um, someone saying, any timelines for Unreal 5 on AWS? Just, uh, so, I, mean, I guess um, that's an, an epic question more than or maybe, well, yeah, so maybe. I, I think the first thing that you got to break out here is Unreal 5 doesn't have in-camera VFX features in it. 
Um, they strip those out and they're putting them back in in 5.1 or 5.2. Um, so we had to go with 4.27.1 or 2. Actually, I heard it said yeah. 2.1. <laughs> it's like a bunch of numbers now <laughs> back of that. Right. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, technically, uh, anybody could set up Unreal 5 in AWS by themselves. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a whole AMI bunch yet. of different solutions that will give you uh, machine instances for Unreal. Yeah, yeah. In, in the cloud. I mean, I, I just cited uh, one, but we had multiple wonderful people approach us that we could have used. Um, uh, another question here, what do you think about using XR on set and how to set it up? Um, can they elaborate in XR or what they're meaning yeah. by just XR? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of, yeah, I guess it's a, the terminology of this world is is interesting. Um, but yeah, if it, that person wants to ask that question again, um, if you've got anything more specific about that, then go ahead. One great place for definitions is the VES Society's Handbook on Virtual Production. So they have quite a bit of work. They did a heavy amount of work with Netflix and Michael Keegan over there. Um, it's a little bit uh, skewed towards plates um and practical photographer being brought into the world but uh it's still a great resource great yeah thanks for sharing um somebody else asking is the new white paper including using unreal engine 5. no because we again it doesn't have that green camera vfx so yeah no sorry <laughs> everybody you can as you can tell is absolutely it, twitching for <laughs> unreal 5. Everyone I know that's been playing with it's just loving it. They say it's just amazing. But on yeah. stage, it doesn't quite work yet. <laughs> right. So have you been using it much, just uh, tinkering with it or kind of I haven't. It? Again, I, I went through the fellowship, but I don't have a machine anymore. It's not something I do on a daily basis. Um, that's a skill set where you really need to focus on it, candidly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any thoughts on use of machine learning in the workflows in this area? Are there any kind of anything specific that you have your eye on in that realm? Well, no, I, I don't. I work with a wonderful guy named Ed Berkowitz at, at the ETC, and um, I'm really hoping some tools might come up. The only tool I've seen that's really kind of interesting is coming out of Unity. Um, they have a, a texturing for uh, new photogrammetry assets that uses um, AI, um, and it, I, yeah, so I, I think that that looks as promising. I didn't get to use it on our last production, um, but uh, I was very interesting, interested in it. Yeah, there's. Uh, I hear this it. thing about voxels. I don't know much about. Yeah. That, I got to admit. Uh, there's a there's an amazing company in i think it's Slovakia called atomontage that have been for several years now been developing an amazing voxel based cg system it doesn't have it's not polygon based it is voxel based and then obviously on the outside of the definition of objects you can render them and they've also have solution for pbr within that framework is definitely well worth checking out um that's my best answer to that question but it's obviously not really poking in in a significant way and taking over the whole of traditional polygonal workflows 
I mean, there's there's VDBs and other volumes that are being used, but only really in the context of volumetric effects. Gotcha. But, yeah, but there's definitely people out there trying to see if see how possible it is to replace polygons with you know, essentially simulating reality at that point, getting down to the the molecular level and re, you know defining it in that way instead of defining it in a coarse coarse grained way with polygons. That's an interesting question. So my my wonderful friend Tony there has asked another question. Hey Tony, shout out to you, my friend. Um, I think XR question might be referring to extended reality by disguise. Um, I haven't. I mean, I know the disguise people really well. Uh, I haven't seen any extended reality out of them. It probably is. They haven't shown me the demo, or I didn't see it. Um, uh, Moses does have something that will allow you to. Um, begin to move in or move out, and it will go automatically from the camera itself with the data um, to a set extension, which I have seen, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, not in display yet. Well, I mean, if you're on disguise, you're most likely going to be doing plates um, for disguise, which you may not need in display for. You can I mean, just play back media. Yeah. Which is where they come from. Media. Yeah. So very good at doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, I'll, I'll shout out. Uh, there's some wonderful people over at Disguise. Um, you know, Marcus, Dan, you know, uh, and others. So. So last question I'll ask you: What are you, what are you excited about the most in in the future of virtual production? So I think the most excited I am is what I saw on that orbital stage, and I can put that in some kind of chat. I'd have to I have to pull it off my phone, but um, I can share that. Uh, just the possibility of where we're going and not needing even set design. I mean, it's really really impressive what's potentially coming up. And again, it we're just in the beginning. So if you think that you're late to the party, you are not late. Party. <laughs> this is a burgeoning industry, and although virtual production has been around since Avatar, this, this, what is possible now has really only been around for three-ish years. I would say three-ish years, give or take what you would consider being done um, on either Mandalorian. Uh, well, that really wasn't common to anybody else having access to that right in the beginning. Yeah. So that, that's actually like five years old, I think. I don't know what my exact date is there, but um, I, this, is, this is so new. And um, jump in now is what I'd recommend. Well, there you have it, folks. Jump in now, the timing's right. It is, uh, from what we hear for sure, um, as a school, there's a lot of opportunity out there. There's not much supply in, in terms of skills. So it's a very good time, in my opinion, as well, to, to get in. And uh, you heard it from Eric as well. So, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you very much, Eric, for joining us on this. It's been a really fascinating conversation. And thank you for sharing all of your experience and wisdom with all of the people that have been listening tonight and may listen in the recording in the future. Thank you. Thanks for thank being you. with us. And, and thank you to our listeners as well. Thanks for joining us tonight. We'll catch it on the recording and we'll publish it in a week. Um, if you've enjoyed what you heard today, we'll be back again in two weeks with another great guest. And follow us at becomecgpro.com.
Thanks, everybody. Good night.